It was just after midnight on the 1st of September 2009. And on this fateful night, the usually quiet neighborhood of Time Street in Quezon City would be woken up by the piercing sound of gunshots. It had seemed to come from an apartment on 39 Time Street, the home of Alexis Tioseco and his girlfriend Nika Bohink. Outside the house, chaos erupted. Car alarms shrieked in protest, and birds from the surrounding trees and rooftops were abruptly jolted from their peaceful rest. Yet within the house's walls, a chilling silence reigned. Moments before the shots were fired, Magdalena Patpat, the domestic helper of the couple, was tied up and bound inside her room. Deep within her, a gnawing intuition took hold. She knew that the intruders were not just mere trespassers or robbers. No, they were biding their time, as if they were patiently counting down the moments until the return of Alexis and Nika. As pain throbbed through her wrists and ankles, Magdalena's emotions surged uncontrollably. Overwhelmed by a sense of helplessness, tears streamed down her face as she sought solace in prayer. <laughs> them come in she prayed let me be the one instead of the two it should have been magdalena she was always the one to greet them at the door yet this time it would be criselda who would open the door to welcome alexis and nika back into their home when they entered one of the men ruthlessly gunned them down in cold blood Listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast, brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by One Up Media. This episode contains scenes of graphic imagery and violence. Listener discretion is advised. In the aftermath of the Heinous Act. That claimed the lives of Alexis and Ika, Magdalena was escorted from the scene. Recognizing the impact of the harrowing event, authorities had her relocated to a secure location. But as she left the home, the scene outside became a flurry of activity, intensified by the arrival of television cameras from news channels such as ABS-CBN and GMA News. In the midst of the growing crowd, a collective of young faces emerged. Standing shoulder to shoulder outside the house, these were the filmmakers, writers, and college friends whom Alexis had introduced to Magdalena over the years. Their youthful energy mingled with a profound sense of grief, forming a bond that transcended mere friendship. Magdalena's voice, raw with anguish and fueled by a desperate plea for justice, reverberated through the air. In a spontaneous outpouring of emotion, she unleashed a heartfelt prayer. God doesn't sleep. He knows exactly what he's doing. God doesn't sleep. A sense of urgency had now gripped the neighborhood, as a fleet of police vehicles were parked outside on 39 Time Street. Immediately, 
the police had their suspicions pointing to an inside job that had unraveled within the walls of the couple's abode. Initially, one would assume that it had to be Criselda. When we consider the circumstances surrounding the break-in at the house, her behaviour before the intrusion was unusual and highly suspicious. First, she would aimlessly wander in and out of the house, her attention constantly fixated on her phone. One could even say that she was communicating with the intruders themselves. However, it was when the intruders invaded the house and started restraining Magdalena that Criselda's reaction truly raised doubts and made us deeply question her involvement. Instead of showing the expected emotions of shock, fear or panic that anyone would naturally feel in such a terrifying situation, she remained seated next to Magdalena, observing the events unfold with an unsettling calmness. Her composed demeanour in the face of danger should have been a clear indication that she must have had some level of involvement in the crime. However, at the time, Criselda was not immediately singled out as the primary suspect in the police's investigation. Instead, they turned their attention to a man named Danilo Homok. His full name is Danilo D. Homok Sr., and he grew up as the son of a farmer. As a child, he attended elementary school, but never pursued any further education beyond that. In 1989, a new chapter unfolded in his life as he sought a career at Aguila Gas, a notable fuel trucking business under the ownership of a man named Leonardo Tiosecco, the father of Alexis Tiosecco. Following the unfortunate demise of Leonardo in 2007, the reins of the business were passed on to his son, Alexis, who assumed control of the company. The exact nature of the relationship between Danilo and Leonardo remains uncertain, but one would assume they shared a close bond. Records indicate that Danilo had been acquainted with Alexis since he was 15 years old, suggesting a long-standing connection between the two individuals. But on the afternoon of September 5th, 2009, at approximately 4 o'clock, Danilo Homok was arrested for the double murder of Alexis Tiosecco and his girlfriend Nika. This might come as a surprise to many. After all, how could the police arrest someone so close to the Tiosecco family? He mumbles when he speaks, his fingers would often pluck at loose threads on his pants, and he always seemed to have a perpetual nervous energy that surrounds him. Given these observations, one might wonder how the police even came to suspect Danilo in the first place. What prompted them to focus their attention on someone so closely connected to the Tiosecco family? Well, it turns out that Alexis had personally hired Danilo as the family's private chauffeur. And what really added a perplexing twist to the narrative was the peculiar fact that he had abruptly abandoned the car a day before the killings took place. This raised suspicions and led investigators to delve deeper into Danilo's involvement. Inside the confines of Camp Karingal, the authorities might have probed Danilo, furiously. We know it was you, Danilo. But where are your associates? Danilo was quiet. I want you to take a look at this sketch. Tell me if it looks familiar. The officers presented Danilo with a cartographic sketch based on a description provided by a witness. Tell me, Danilo, does this resemble you? With a hint of hesitation, Danilo said it did, but only a little. <clears throat> the cheeks are bigger, and the hair is shorter than mine. But other than that, 
It looks like me. You see? I knew it. You even admitted it. The officers exclaimed triumphantly. In their eyes, Danilo's acknowledgement served as a self-incriminating affirmation, reinforcing the connection between him and the depicted figure in the sketch. At first, Danilo vehemently refuted the accusations leveled against him. He says that it was impossible for him to have committed the murders as he was in Metro Manila, transporting gas at the time. However, the authorities confronted him with a menacing question. Danilo, what if we were to find your fingerprints inside the car? The implications were clear. The mere possibility of his fingerprints being found would be irrefutable evidence against him and he would have to spend the rest of his life in prison. But it still didn't make any sense. Why would Danilo Homok kill Alexis? Records clearly state that Alexis was a great boss. He demonstrated kindness and understanding in their interactions. For example, when Danilo requested a loan for his son's college tuition, Alexis declined but instead offered to give him the money as a gift. He also showed concern for Danilo's children and offered to buy one of them a new bike as a reward for his good grades in school. So, if Alexis was such a great boss, why would he want to kill him? The case of Danilo Homok is rife with swirling conspiracy theories. Some say that he may have been nothing more than a convenient scapegoat, and that there are even more influential figures lurking behind the scenes, orchestrating the crime. To understand this perspective, it's crucial to delve into the life and work of Alexis Tioseco, where a prevailing belief exists that there is more to the story than meets the eye. What? I don't know, I don't remember. Tioseco himself was a fervent advocate and pivotal force within the realm of independent Philippine films. At the time of his death, he held the esteemed position of a film professor at the University of Asia and the Pacific. He was a respected contributing writer for numerous publications, both domestically and internationally. Notably, he was on the cusp of launching a regular column in the Philippines Free Press, a highly regarded weekly news magazine. Despite being recognized as one of the leading Filipino film critics of his time, he remained humble and unassuming, brushing off such accolades. However, not everyone in the industry shared the same perspective on his viewpoints. These details fuel speculations among Tioseco's acquaintances, who can't help but draw connections between his influential presence in the film industry and the events that transpired. According to Kwak Hanares, a film director and a close friend of Tioseco, Alexis possessed a deep passion for delving into the various aspects of cinema and was never afraid to challenge established norms to convey his message. Hanares says, He was a very funny guy and always joking around. Although he was young, he had a good working relationship with many directors in the industry, but he also had brashness. He was vocal against the movie studios and complained about how stagnant the Philippine cinema had become. This brashness, as Hanaris described it, was exhibited by Alexis in his unwavering commitment to instigate change within the Metro Manila Film Festival. Recognizing the need for reforms, he drafted a comprehensive position paper fearlessly voicing out his concerns and even proposing ideas to improve the event. However, he never received a reply or saw any changes made by the organizers. 
While it might be the case that Alexis Tiuseco was merely caught in the unfortunate circumstances of a robbery, an alternative and perhaps more plausible scenario emerges, one in which someone held deep-seated animosity towards him. This animosity could have stemmed from his relentless efforts to disrupt and challenge the established norms of the Philippine cinema industry, thereby unsettling those with vested interests. In this scenario, the motive to eliminate him becomes more than a random act of violence. It could be a calculated intent to silence his influential voice and extinguish the fire he had ignited within the industry. In 2010, an important development took place in the case when a resolution was issued and signed by Assistant City Prosecutor Ray Gilbert Espinoza. This resolution cleared Danilo Homok of all charges as the City Prosecutor's Office found insufficient evidence to establish probable cause against him. Adding weight to Homok's defence, Magdalena Patpat, the only witness during the crime, provided a sworn affidavit affirming that Danilo was not involved in the robbery and murder of Alexis Tioseco and his girlfriend. With Danilo Homok cleared of charges and declared a free man, the focus of attention now turns to Criselda Dayag, the former housemaid of the Tioseco household. They believe that she played a crucial role in the crime, not only opening the gates for the intruders to enter, but even orchestrating the entire sequence of events. It was discovered that a few hours following the tragic incident, Criselda had sent a text message to an individual connected to the Tioseco family office. The message says, That's why Alexis was killed. Because he fought. On February 25th, 2016, almost six years after a warrant was issued for her arrest, the long arm of the law finally caught up with Criselda Daya. She was taken into custody by the authorities in Angeli City, a town nestled in the province of Papanga. Coincidentally, this location was in close proximity to the cemetery where Alexis Tioseco was laid to rest. On May 4th, Criselda was finally brought before the Quezon City Regional Trial Court. The court, after carefully reviewing the evidence presented, reached a verdict of guilty beyond reasonable doubt for the crime of robbery with homicide. In his ruling, the judge says, Under the circumstances, it is believed that she was not innocent and a victim of the assailants as she claimed to be. Without her active involvement, from the very moment that she opened the door of the house and let the assailants in, up to the second that she helped in the escape of the assailants and to the time that she went with the assailants voluntarily, the crime would not have been committed and consummated. Criselda Dayak was sentenced to 40 years in prison and ordered to pay 350,000 Philippine pesos to each of the heirs of Alexis Tioseco and Nika Bohenk. That's equivalent to approximately 6,728 US dollars. By 2018, it became evident that the gears of justice were primarily in motion for Criselda Dayak. As for the three mysterious men that had entered the house, two of them continued to elude capture, and only one among them had been definitively identified. Erwin Romelu, a cherished confidant of Alexis, poured his emotions into a heart-wrenching essay dedicated to the memory of his dear friend. He expressed the pain he felt following the loss of his close friend, 
as well as the anger and frustration that he experienced during the arduous pursuit for justice. In the closing passages, he writes, "The last thing I wanted to do when I was asked to write this was to remember their deaths. But if anything, I felt that it had to be remembered." For tuning in to this episode of Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by OneUp Media. If you would like to share some feedback or suggest other cases that you would like us to cover, head on down to our website at asiantruecrimepodcast.com. This episode was researched, produced, and written by Yeo Gong Jin, with audio engineering by Ethan Sam. Special thanks to executive producer Danny Cody from MediaCorp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Heinous.